Hey, we're going to begin a study in the book of Acts, and it sets the stage for the waiting, what we look at this day. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to chapter 1, or you can follow along on the screens. Uh, but before we uh, get into the text, we're, we're going to take a little bit of time to go through a good deal of kind of background information, which is going to help us in the coming weeks in our study. But that's okay, because today's passage is short. <laughs> so in, in many of our Bibles, uh, the book is simply that we're looking at, the book is simply called or referred to as Acts. But in some Bibles, it's entitled the Acts of the Apostles, and that name actually goes back to the second century. Many commentators, however, say that there is a better name for this book, and it would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, they're not actually proposing that we should change the name. Rather, what they're doing is they're pointing out that everything that the apostles did in the book of Acts, all of the acts of the apostles, they did that because the Spirit of God was working in them and through them. So, in our Bibles, Acts follows the Gospels, you know, uh, the, the life of Jesus, and it precedes the letters. And that's not an accident. Acts, Acts is a kind of a bridge between the Gospels, between the life of Jesus and what he did and said here on this earth, and the letters that the apostles wrote to the various churches. Acts tells us what happened after the resurrection, and it helps us to better understand the rest of the New Testament. Now, Acts is the second volume of a two-volume work. Luke wrote it along with the gospel that bears his name. And both volumes were dedicated to Theophilus, who's mentioned in the first verse of each of the work. That word Theophilus means God lover or friend of God, right? Uh, but it's a very common name, and the practice in those days was to kind of dedicate a work or to a patron or to someone else. And we do the same thing in books today, right? So, uh, so they were uh, dedicated to Theophilus. And Luke was a friend of Paul's. And so when it comes to Acts, sometimes we know he was with Paul because uh, uh, the events are recorded, he uses the term we. And at other times, he wasn't with Paul during those times. He simply heard about those other things that Paul had done and what others were doing, and he records them for us. And as for the gospel, Luke tells us that he researched everything thoroughly before he wrote his orderly account. And it's pretty obvious when you read the gospel of Luke uh, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of his sources and probably some of the other women too. So, so we can call this book of Acts, we can call it a theological history just like we could call the Gospels, including Luke's, a theological biographies. So they're true events which are recorded to teach us eternal truth. There's, there's no claim here by any of these books to, to say that they're telling us everything that happened. In fact, sometimes they tell us that we can't know everything that happened. It's just impossible to record it all. And they're telling us the things we need to know so that we can know God, so we can know how God works in our world. 
Theologians refer to these writings as salvation history. Everything in them is true and trustworthy, but they are written with the distinct purpose of bringing people to Christ or helping them grow in the faith. And in Acts, Luke selects things that he reports in order for us to see clearly and understand that the work of the Holy Spirit is in everything that happens in Acts. The Holy Spirit is, after all, the central character in this book. Now, this isn't in any way uh, a lowering of Jesus. The Spirit is always exalting Jesus, always pointing to him, always drawing people to Jesus. Jesus came and paid for our sins, and he's at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest who is always interceding for us. But it is a spirit who is here and now to enable us to live the Christian life. This is his time. This is God's plan. And Acts is a book of movement. The story begins in Jerusalem on the outskirts of the Roman world and it ends in the very center of the empire in the capital city in Rome itself. And during that time, the church is on the march. Geographically speaking, it's moving from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and it's on its way to the utmost parts of the world. And there were ethnic and cultural borders crossed as the gospel started with the Jews, but it didn't stay there. It took hold in the hearts of the despised neighbors, the, the Samaritans who were frowned upon as half-breeds. And almost before they knew it, the Gentiles who had no Jewish blood at all were responding to the gospel and coming to Christ in droves. And all of these people, people of all kinds from everywhere, were crossing over from death to life because of the work of Christ revealed by the Spirit through the witness of God's people. Lives were changed as men and women and children turned from sin to live for him in righteousness. And all of that movement, all of that change, all of the shocks and surprises, all of it, was caused by the movement of the Holy Spirit himself as he worked out his will in the life of God's people. Now, there's one more thing I need to note about Acts before we can actually turn the to the text, and that is that this is a hard book to preach. I, it would be easier to teach than to preach, but here we are. And there are two things which make it difficult. First, there's not a lot of didactic material in it. That is, it doesn't contain a lot of direct teaching. It, it's a story. It tells us what the church did. It tells us what God's people did. But it doesn't tell us which of those things, if any, we're supposed to do. So I want to kind of give you an illustration from the Old Testament of what I'm talking about. Joshua marched around Jericho uh, one day every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, he marched around seven times. And they blew trumpets and they shouted and the walls fell down. Uh, some people take that and they go out and they march around their city or town or neighborhood to claim it for Christ. And that's a noble desire. But is that what we're supposed to do? I mean, did God tell us that is the way to do it? Or is the point of that Old Testament story 
is that we are to obey God when he commands us to do something, even if we don't see the reason for it. You see, the Old Testament is full of things like that, which were given to teach us, as 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And Acts is like that. You see, we have to be discerning so we can learn from it. You know, many people, and I'm one of them, they think that the church needs to hear from the book of Acts again to remind us of who we are, to call us back to our heritage so that we might have the same impact on our world as they had on theirs. And, and the second thing that makes this book hard to talk about is there are controversial topics in its pages. And there are terms here, terms that are defined by different people and groups in different ways, which makes talking about these things almost like walking through a minefield. But I have to say, there's these, uh, these there's also good Christian people on all sides of those issues. These are Christians who love Jesus Christ and whom Jesus loves. And so even if we don't agree with them, we have to love them, Right? You know, some people lament uh, the divisions that they see in Christianity. I, I get that. I understand it. But, but I also can see it from a different side. You see, our God wants unity, not uniformity. And we display real unity when we love each other, even when we disagree. We, we may never, on this side of glory, agree about some of these things. But we can, and we should, and we must love Christ we must love other believers as Christ loved them and as he loved us. And if we do that, we will show the world that we belong to him. Now, for, for those of you who might be sitting there thinking, well, why are things so complex? Why can't they just be more simple? John replied this way, that life and reality are not simple, that human beings in the world we habit, inhabit are complicated. And that is what the Bible addresses. It's not a fairy tale. It's reality and real life. And the Word of God speaks truth to the intricate issues that come our way as we live in a fallen world inhabited by sinful people. But today's text is pretty straightforward. And to that we're now going to turn. And it begins with a reminder of all kinds of things that had already happened as recorded in the Gospels and in Luke's Gospel particularly. Verse 1 says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. As real quick, he chose those apostles. They were the authoritative leaders of the church. It was on the Jesus as a cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles that the church is built, right? And, and there's this interesting statement in verse 2 which tells us something. And it tells us that while Jesus was here on earth, he gave instructions to his disciples through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Uh, as a man, Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was the first person where the Spirit came down and remained. 
And the Bible tells us that the Spirit was given to him without any limit at all, as we would expect because he's God in the flesh. And Jesus taught his disciples, but it was the Holy Spirit that would bring home those truths to their hearts. And the point of this is that Jesus will continue to teach his disciples. Though he's no longer there, he will teach them through the Holy Spirit. And so after that brief introduction, Luke focuses on what we might call the linchpin of our faith. He tells us about the resurrection appearances of Jesus. He doesn't, so it doesn't do that in a lot of detail. We can find more information in other parts of the Bible. But again, he tells us enough to set up the rest of the story. And so we read this in verse 3. After his suffering, and I just want to stop right there. So those three words, after his suffering, summarize the arrest, the crucifixion, the death and burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Luke, like the other writers of the New Testament, does not dwell, as we are wont to do, on the gory details of what happened to Jesus. Just think of Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. It was all about the gore. But the gospel writers don't do that. And they don't do that because they want you to see not the goriness of it. Yes, it is awful. It is terrible. We know that. But they want us to see the meaning behind it. And those things might just distract us if we're not careful. They tell us enough so we know what it is, but they don't focus on it. Anyway, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So for a period of 40 days, at different times, at different places, to different people, in different circumstances, Jesus met with his people to demonstrate behind any doubt that he had risen from the dead. Now, I have to tell you something. It does not matter that Buddha and Krishna and Confucius and Mohammed are still in the grave. Nothing changes in anything they teach because of that. But if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, our faith crumbles into dust and we are still in our sins. But he did rise. The people he appeared to were so convinced to it that all of them, except one, John, and he died in exile, every other one of them died a martyr's death rather than turn their back on Jesus, rather than to deny the resurrection. People do not die for something they know is a lie. That 40 day was of vital importance to the existence of the church. His people saw him and they knew that the resurrection had happened. And it's on their testimony that we take our stand. Now, you and I, if we know Christ, we know the resurrection happened because the Word of God tells us. But once we put our faith in Jesus, that Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And that Spirit testifies to that truth, too. Now, during that 40-day period, Jesus continued to do what he had done while he worked with him on earth. He taught them about the kingdom of God. So, in his time... Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. And, and now it was time that his disciples would expand it as they taught and led others by the Holy Spirit. 
So the kingdom of God was a topic in one way or another of just about every conversation after the resurrection and before the, the ascension. So theologically, we say that the kingdom of God is now and not yet. It's here in the present in the hearts of God's people as he lives and rules in us, but it one day will swallow up all the borders and divisions of the earth and bring all things under one head, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the disciples would be involved in advancing his kingdom. That's our job today, too. By the way, if you don't know it, is to continue to advance his kingdom in the world. And in one of those meetings between Jesus and his disciples, Luke uh, only tells us of two particular meetings, um, but we're only going to look at the first one this morning. And, uh, and, and it's where he tells them this. He says to wait until they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. So verse 4 says this on one occasion. While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And if there was any doubt to his meaning, Jesus goes on to say in verse 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit was predicted in the Old Testament book of Joel. And it was the subject of John the Baptist's prophecy and testimony concerning the Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus himself had taught about it. So this event had been built up for a long time. And it was so important. It mattered more than they could understand. In a sense, the disciples had been anticipating this for close to four years now since the days of John the Baptist. And now it was on top of them. But they had to wait. Jesus said it would happen in a few days. But just what does that mean? You, you know, you and I know more than the disciples did at that point. Looking back, we know that the baptism happened on the day of Pentecost. But the disciples, they did not know that. They might have suspected it, but they didn't know it. All they knew is that they had to wait. Here are the details that we know, as we know them, right? Pentecost is 50 days from the Passover, the day Jesus died. He met with his people for 40 days after the resurrection, and he was in the grave for three days. And that means the disciples had to wait seven or eight days, depending on how the Jews would count those figures. But that's what we know. That's not what they knew. All they knew was they had to wait. And waiting is hard. And, and the wandering, too. That must have been hard in its own way, don't you think? What did it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? They, they knew what water baptism was. They'd seen it. They'd been part of it. They'd practiced it. That lowering into the water and a kind of a burial and then being raised again out of the water? What could that mean? Does that tell them something about bat being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Does it mean a kind of dying to the self, a rising to new life? If so, what would that be like? And you know, if they thought about it, and, and, and they must have, and they must have known, who would do the baptism? Jesus would. Jesus was the one who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. 
And yet, you know, Jesus never coddled his disciples. And he had warned them of things that they would go through on account of his name. So they must have been wondering as they waited until the day it happened. What was coming? How long would they wait? And that's where we're going to end today. With the wondering and the waiting. You see, we know that the disciples were carriers of the kingdom. They took it with them everywhere they went. And we also know they didn't go alone. The Holy Spirit went with them and empowered them so that Christ's kingdom advanced in the world as it broke down the various gates of hell. And if the kingdom is going to advance in our world today, it is going to advance because the Spirit is at work in us. For us today, today and now, Let's just do this. Let's be reminded that the Spirit was given to us to enable us to live the Christian life. I'm going to close with thoughts from Romans 8. Verse 13 says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It's by the Spirit that we say no to sin. And then in verse 14, we're told this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's how we say yes to God, by following the Spirit's lead. The Holy Spirit enables us to say no to sin and yes to God. The Holy Spirit is the one who lives in us, guides us, and empowers us. It was the Father's will for his Son to die for our sins so we could be forgiven. And it is his will that we live the Christian life in the only way we can really live the Christian life, in the power of his spirit. Acts is all about that. And we should be too. Would you allow me to pray? Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that you have um, you've been preparing, uh, Lord, every person that's here today, in one manner or another, to hear what was said today. Lord, you have plans for your people. And uh, there's a lost world out there, Lord, and we're here to reach them. And I just pray that this message would come home to our heart. That we would stop looking at the mess that our world is in. That we would stop uh, relying on ourselves, even wondering what it is we can do. And simply turn our eyes on Jesus Christ and uh, allow you to take us and use us to just being open to what you might bring our way as the day goes by. To remember that you live in us and you love every person that we meet as we make our way through this world. And we ask it in the name of our Savior who died and rose for us. Amen.